Welcome to Sports Talk with Tonsoni, the Indiana Baseball Edition. I'm your host, Brian Tonsoni, and along with Chris Feeney, Josh Bennett, Cassidy Palmer, and Carl James, we will be bringing you information on Indiana baseball. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Hoosier Baseball. I am your host, Brian Tonsoni, and this week the Indiana Hoosiers went 3-2 and two on the week, and they lost their first week, weekend series um, in over a year. On Tuesday night, the Hoosiers played their annual game in Indianapolis at Victory Field, and Indiana was able to win. The line score, Notre Dame, no runs on four hits and no errors. Indiana, three runs, four hits, and no errors. Tim Heron. Went six incredible innings to get the win to improve his record to 2-0, and and Matt Lloyd picked up the save. Ryan Feynman hit the, had the key hit with a towering two-run homer that decided the game. On Wednesday, the Hoosiers returned to Bart Kaufman Stadium and outlasted Ball State in an epic extra-inning marathon. Final line score, Ball State eight runs on 15 hits and one air, and Indiana nine runs on 14 hits and no airs. Grant Sloan, Cal Kruger, and Andrew Selfrank threw six innings of scoreless relief, with Selfrank picking up the win. Matt Gorski had four hits, Logan Kalitha had two, and Jeremy Houston three, including the game-winning hit uh, to send the Hoosiers off to victory. Friday, the Hoosiers traveled over to their Big Ten uh, rivals uh, at Ohio State, and the Hoosiers were victorious four Nothing behind an excellent outing from Jonathan Stever. Uh, IU's line was four runs on seven hits and no errors. Ohio State, zero runs, five hits, three errors. Gorski, Ryan Feynman, and Logan Sowers all had two hits each. On Saturday, IU lost a close game, 5-4, on a late home run by Ohio State star hitter Noah McGowan, a kid who's hitting almost 400. Final line, Indiana four runs, seven hits, two errors. Ohio State, five runs eight hits, and two errors. Connor Manis picked up the loss, but early runs were scored after a few walks and a couple of errors. Grant Sloan did pitch an effective two-and-a-third scoreless innings. Logan Kalitha and Scotty Bradley led the offensive attack for the Hoosiers. A key bases-loaded, no-out situation in the third produced no runs. That also aided the loss or the losing effort for the Hoosiers. Sunday, the Hoosiers came back for the pivotal game three and lost the game again in extra innings. I believe it was in the bottom of the 11th, uh, 6-5. to Final line, IU, five runs, 11 hits, one error. Ohio State, six runs, only six hits, and one error. Andrew Selfrank picked up the loss, and once again, the Hoosiers could not hold an early lead. Walks and errors again, played it a few runs, uh, and that kept Ohio State in the game, and they were able to score again by a McGowan key hit late in the game. Kalitha, Lloyd, Feynman, and Gorski had multiple hit efforts. Uh, this week, the IU team struggled with some timely hitting, and they also allowed some teams to stay in by some loss of command on the mound and, unfortunately, timely errors. Despite these struggles, the games were close, and Indiana had a chance to win all five. A few injuries are rearing up. Losing Luke Miller for the last three weeks hasn't helped, and this weekend, uh, Paulie Milto, our Saturday starter, was unavailable, and that played a role in the outcome. So now... It is time for our Hoosier Highlights. (laughs) 
Uh, okay, so I found a few songs on uh, Apple to- iTunes that try to add a little bit to the podcast uh, and spice up a little bit of a tough week. Uh, costly mistakes for me. Uh, the highlight was costly mistakes um, hurt this team, but this team keeps battling. Uh, I think Ohio State just had a little more luck uh, and w- was able to take advantage of our mistakes a little bit more than the Hoosiers were able to take advantage of the Ohio State. Uh, a, a lesser team probably gets beat a little bit more soundly given the circumstances, the injuries, uh, and having to rearrange a, a pitching staff over the weekend. So uh, I'm not a big fan of the walks and airs, but they do happen. Uh, and, and we benefit from walks and airs by the other team. But six out of the last eight runs were by guys who got on base via the walk or the air, and that just turned out to be uh, too costly. So in the future, I think we have to limit – those type of opportunities and get the offense to hit some timely hits. That's what I'm thinking about this week. I would like to give a shout out to the women's softball team who is having a dominant big 10 season. Uh, they are really playing well and Tara trainer tossed a no hitter. I hope I got her name right. Um, on Sunday to sweet Penn state and things are really looking up for the women's softball team. So Carl, what is your weekly Hoosier highlight? Uh, my highlight comes from the uh, the game at Victory Field, uh, which was just an awesome experience to go up to Victory Field to see uh, IU play in, in that environment. Uh, there was the color rush going on uh, with IU in, in the all reds and Notre Dame in the all greens, had that whole Christmas look to it. Uh, but the highlight for me was uh, Ryan Feynman's rocket shot in that game. And, I mean, it was it was a line drive absolute no doubter the moment he hit it uh and it was just a beauty to see uh everybody knew it was out ryan clearly knew it was out because he just kind of held his bat up there and then just dropped it and did his trot uh it was uh it was very impressive and and was the the, you know the game winning hit so uh really really enjoyed the trip up to victory field and ryan's shot and it was a no-doubter somewhat down the line, which is the place you want to hit it because in the left field power alley, it goes out to 418. And in this four-year run, we've seen some balls hit really hard by our right-handed hitters go out into that um, valley and not be hit out uh, for homers. So uh, it was a no-doubter, but it was hit to the right spot, and it was a big game winner. Cassie, your who's your highlight for the week? For me, it has to be Timmy Heron's pitching. I mean, on the week, he threw 10 and a, 10 and a third innings uh, through 186 pitches is what I had him at. He gave up just two earned runs across those 10 and a third on three hits. He had those couple of really hard hit balls on Sunday. Uh, but he struck out seven. He threw first pitch to 64% of the batters he faced and and. This is really notable because he was at 51.9% on the season coming into the week. So he really, really was was pounding the zone early on most of the batters. And on Tuesday, he had a game score at the MLB. I used the MLB formula to get game score. He had a game score of 78 on Tuesday. To put that in perspective, only Stever and Pauly have been in that range. Uh, Stever's hit 83, 78, 75. Paulie's hit 94, 76, 75. So Timmy was right up there with our two best guys. So I'm, I'm giving it to him there. I think that's a, a excellent choice. I think uh, Tim is pushing to maybe get a weekend start um, 
especially if Paulie is not back uh, against Illinois. But uh, even if Paulie's back, I think he's making a case to maybe be a starter in, in the three-game weekend set. Chris Feeney, your Hoosier highlights. Okay, uh, real quick, just to explain, we had a listener or a watcher, I'm not sure how he uh, takes in the show, give a, an, a, an advice, a suggestion to try to include a little bit more of the high school stuff or some stuff from recruits. So what I'm going to be doing for Hoosier highlights from now on, basically, is throwing in a Hoosier highlight from their senior draft watch that we have. So some of our high school guys that are doing real well in their high school season in their senior year. So this year, uh, for this week, we're going to be Ty Bothwell. He pitches for Boone Grove, okay? In the past week, he won the Perfect Game Preseason All-American Award, okay? So he got voted for that. He threw a perfect game with 20 strikeouts. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Then his next start, when he pitches again, he goes six innings and 12 more Ks. So this kid is throwing real well. He also won the uh, Northwest Times Indiana Player of the Week, and that's for all sports, uh, male and female. And uh, I looked a little bit of his, uh, his stats before this year. In just 94 innings, he had 145 strikeouts. So Ty Bothwell is really going to be a name uh, I'm excited to see next year. You know, he'll be here for fall ball. But uh, Kevin Frank was the name of the watcher or the listener that gave us this uh, suggestion. And I really I really like it. I feel like it's something that we don't touch on enough at all, really, on the podcast. So my Hoosier highlights from uh, here going forward are going to be a high schooler or an alumni. Uh, So for this week, we're just going to touch on Ty Bothwell out of Boone Grove. And uh, from what I understand, Valparaiso is in the region. Is that correct? you beat me to it, Chris. Oh, okay. and, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we are having some good success from the region, guys. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it's up there near my hometown of Laporte, and that's good news. And what's, what's interesting, too, as followers of the program, every year we have some new freshmen. We have some new JC uh, transfers in that, that we didn't have the year before. And, and Coach Lamonis does a good job of finding talent and Ty sounds like he has a potential to be uh, one of those uh, if he continues his success when he comes in for fall ball. So very good. Uh, Josh, you're um, welcome to the show. And uh, your uh, who's your highlight? Yeah, this week my who's your highlight is going to be uh, Jeremy Houston mercifully sending home all 12 people in the 14th inning on Wednesday. Uh, we know a couple that were still there, but not very many uh, – it was a it was a long cold night. Chris and I walked out after the thirteenth inning just so the baseball gods might might <laughs> smile upon us. We we figured we did something wrong and he was punishing the team for it. So <laughs> so we decided to get out of there. And then uh, by the time we got to the parking lot from the end of the thirteenth, South Frank had already mowed them down and 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 we had guys on and finally came through with the big hit after so many opportunities. So my Hoosier highlights, Jeremy Houston's walk-off on Wednesday. Rumor has it that one of the 12 guys still in Bart Kaufman Stadium might have slept in the next day and been a little late to a class that they were scheduled to, but I have yet to be able to confirm that rumor. It was discussed before uh, the 13th inning that that was going to happen. So, Oh, okay. So, so maybe some validation of the rumor. I have to look into that. But it is now warm. time. He was warm. Yeah. He was very warm during the game. <laughs> yeah, he was. And so it's now time for our weekly awards, the Limo hats. And we send it back to you, Chris. Okay. So for this week, I believe we're week, uh, what are we week 10 now? Week 10 for the Limo hats. Uh, our defensive Limo hat, the Tony Butler Limo hat is going to go to Mr. Matt Gorski. 
for that catch out in left field during the windy marathon. Um, what I have it here with inning, top of the tenth inning, guy on second base. He went for broke. This guy took off. He didn't care. Either he forgot how many outs there were, or he just figured Matt wasn't going to catch it. Matt comes sliding in. You know, it was either catch it or the guy's going to score. Bull went probably went all the way to the fence, and uh, he slides in. He catches the ball. He doubles the kid off second base. So it was a it was a gutsy play. Onions, I guess we could say, coming in on that ball the way he did. And he doubled them off, and a couple innings later, well, <laughs> four innings later, we won the game. So it was a big play, and he gets the Limo Hat Defensive Player of the Week for pitching. This one, to me, if you don't explain it right, it doesn't even mean as much. So I'm going to explain it right. This guy went to the mound on Friday night knowing that we were missing 20 innings. Okay, We had to come up with 20 innings that we usually don't have to. All right, we had the extra midweek plus five innings because we went 14. And we had Pauly Milto's at least six innings that we normally get from him. So John Stever is getting pitcher of the week, the uh, Joey Donato limo hat. He comes to the mound knowing that we're 20 innings you know, in the hole or having to come up with than we normally do. Then after two innings, he's 41 pitches. So I, you know, in his head, he must have been like, come on, I was supposed to, you know, mow through or get through this and give a long outing but you know what he did it anyway he gets through that game he gets all the way into the eighth inning gave up a single in the eighth and that's when bj came in but after the second inning at 41 pitches he said nah i'm going to still give the long outing and i'm still going to get the win and i'm still going to shut him out and we saw what that lineup did throughout the rest of the weekend this is a real good team and steve shut him out i had a couple uh let's see six k's he only gave up five hits and if I remember right, the bases were loaded with two outs. He got out of that, and I don't think he gave up another hit. And I believe that was in the fifth inning. So then he went through the sixth and the seventh. He gave up that hit in the eighth to McGowan, and they pulled him. But I tell you, wherever you were that night, whether it was me, I was in Bryant Park, or wherever you might have been, I mean, I told everybody, stand up and clap. Because as he walked off that mound, he got a standing O from anybody, wherever they were, if it was up to me. And uh, <laughs> the Offensive Player of the Week award, Tell me if you've heard this before, Logan Kalita. Um, <laughs> he had, I know it is, it is five games and there was a lot of extra innings, but still, he had eight walks. He scored seven runs. He had six hits. He's got his hit-by-pitch game back, which is nice. He got two of them. Uh, he even drove in a run. And what I thought was wild, if you took in the two uh, midweek games, he had back-to-back three-walk games. You know what I mean? And he's our leadoff hitter. So he's our do-everything guy, actually. I mean, if we're going to even be real about it. Uh, so he gets the Offensive Player of the Week award. And, and, and what do you call him? Well, of course, he is Superman. <laughs> and for those who are only listening and not watching, I have the brand new Logan Kalasha t-shirt up on the screen. Logan Kalitha. Yes. Uh, Superman. Not a lot of people know this, but you can buy a Logan Kalita shirt now. Uh, here it is up on the screen. I don't know if you could see it. It's got the front Indiana 11. And in the back, it has the trident, you know, and it has the 11. And uh, the way to get one is you go on eBay and you type into the search window Hoosiers and the code YOGI. And I talked to the guys at eBay. They gave us that special code. And uh, you can get a Logan Kalitha shirt. They also have these really nice tank tops that come up when you type that in. They look a little bit like basketball jerseys, but they're Kalitha tank tops. Uh, so feel free to get your Superman shirt. 
And the weather is going to break sometime, and you're going to need that sleeveless baseball yeah. Kalitha shirt. Yes, it uh, is a Kalitha tank to, top. Mm-hmm. To, uh, Kalitha, bring sunscreen because the shoulders yes. are exposed in that baseball Sun's tank out, top. Suns out, guns out, absolutely. That's right. Uh, but, you know, every game, Kalitha has his guns out. He really does. The guy's I amazing. Mean, Still a Superman. Unbelievable. Uh, I really agree with you, and that's weird for me to say. I thought, again, this is back-to-back excellent efforts on the limo hats. But let's go to Carl. For your um, cheese hat, honorable mention. All right. I'm going to give an honorable mention. It's going to be focused on, on just uh, one game, which is the, uh, the conclusion of the, of the marathon on Wednesday night. Um, and, and I'm giving a, a cheese hat to uh, uh, Andrew Saul Frank. Um, three innings, seven strikeouts, uh, face the minimum for the win. Um, and this is, you know, from somebody who had really struggled, uh, over the, you know, over the year. And if there's a huge bright spot to get out of what's happened in the week, it was the fact that Saul Frank had an opportunity in a key leverage situation to go in and again, show what he's capable of. And he did that. And because of that, there's another W in, in, in the list. So uh, I'm recognizing Carl. That's a, that's a really good find. Uh, and, and, you know, I know he got the loss on Sunday, but you know, he got, he got hit by a really talented, all big 10 type of player. That's going to happen. Uh, but I, I'm, that helps. And as we, we are seeing now with Paulie being out that we need depth and, and we're seeing a few guys start to step up and add to what has been a, a decent bullpen already. Josh, your cheese hat. Uh, my cheese hat this week is going to a guy who had a great offensive week. In uh, the five games, he went 10 for 22 with three extra base hits, five runs, five RBI, and three stolen bases. And for the season, he is first in hits and batting average, uh, second in runs and total bases. He hasn't committed an error all season long. Uh, he leads the team with 17 multi-hit games. Currently has an 11-game hit streak, which is a high for the team for the season. Is 17 of 19 on stolen bases and has scored runs in 14 of the last 15. So I know we have a Superman, but I think we have a, well, whatever the Robin equivalent to Batman, Superman, however you cross that over. But Matt Gorski is having just an incredible season that I think we're overlooking due to the heroics of number 11. So that's my cheese hat this week. And And I know that... You know, we're not here to do any second-guessing uh, of anything, but there has been some talk amongst us of we've seen Gorski in the two-hole. Uh, we wonder if we'll see him in that slot against more than just left-handers in the future, and, and that could potentially be a nice one-two combination, although we have not had problems getting runners on base. We've had trouble bringing them in, so uh, that that's an excellent cheese hat. Cassie, your cheese hat for the week. So I was originally going to go – the easy route and go with Timmy. I was just talking about him. He was fantastic. But I also want to give a bit of a shout out to Grant Sloan. We saw him a little more extended uh, on Saturday than he's been. And he was just fine. I mean, gave up, gave up just one hit um, over two and a third innings faced nine batters, did hit one, but he struck another out. And so to see him 
be a little more extended, get a little more confident. Um, that was really encourage a really encouraging sign to me. Okay, so you stole mine. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that, that's perfectly fine. We're equal opportunity family here of of IU baseball fans. You can what's mine is yours. But uh, Grant Sloan <laughs> adds more uh, depth to the bullpen, and he's come in and, and done a nice job. And he's thrown some strikes, and he's pounded the strike zone. And so we're very proud of that young guy. And, and so I will follow up with a couple guys. Uh, Scotty Bradley had a go ahead hit. Um, which came after an error that he had at first base. Uh, I just like his approach. I like the whole team battling back. When things don't go well, this team does not hang their heads. They keep fighting, even if it doesn't turn out uh, to their benefit. And I had to remind myself that uh, overnight and this morning, uh, that this team is a battling team, even when things don't go their way. So Scotty Bradley could get one. Uh, Tim Heron, I'll, I'll throw Tim out. I'm just really happy for him. And his last four or five starts, I think he's really come out and thrown the ball extremely well. And I look for those kind of, you know, sometimes you don't like having an injury at all. Uh, but out of that has come uh, some really, you know, Luke Miller's injury. Uh, we've got some players to step in and perform, and we got Jeremy Houston back. And so sometimes uh, those, those injuries are opportunities to build depth, and, and we're going to need that come tournament time. Uh, regardless of where we're at. And speaking of where we're at, Carl, uh, first time we've had a weekend loss and and the impact on RPI. All right. Uh, The real-time RPI is actually right where it was the last time uh, we were sitting on this podcast, which is at number 26. Um, In the meantime, it had gotten quite a bit better, uh, but obviously the the series lost uh, brought that back a bit. But losing a series to a good team on the road isn't horribly damaging to the RPI. Um, the uh, uh, my, my model um, right now, and I'm really trying to get an idea of you know where where things are going to land, and I have a model to predict that um, is a nine and six finish uh, over the rest of the the remainder of the season, um, which would land us at an RPI of twenty nine, uh, which should be good enough for a two seed. Um, I like to check mine against other people who are really, really good at that and, and a lot better, which would be uh, Boyd's World. Uh, Boyd's World, their RPI needs report, um, has the same finish qualifying within the top 32, which is roughly the same thing. So that, that kind of washes. That's kind of on par with that. Um, this does not include the Big Ten tournament. Um, and I think the Big Ten tournament could be a really big opportunity for Indiana. Um, partially because a lot of the competition around the same spots in the RPI are going to be uh, a lot of teams from some of the same conferences. So there's going to be losses mixed into there. Um, And Indiana might have an opportunity by going through and winning the Big Ten tournament uh, to leapfrog some of those teams in the RPI. Um, But I think that would take at least getting to the championship game without a loss or winning with just one loss. uh, there is, uh, the one bad thing about the Boyd's report is now it's showing that there is one more win needed, uh, last week than before. Um, and that has to be due to our opponent performance, um, over this past week, which I don't know of any other adjective besides atrocious to say how our opponents have been playing over the last two weeks. Um, and particularly this last week, um, University of San Diego gets swept by Pepperdine. Um, 
and you know we really need to get uh, Kyle Schwarber to talk to Chris Bryant and and get those guys a uh, a good good pep talk because that is just Pepperdine. I I okay. <laughs> um, I also look at uh, I use the RPI formula to try to gauge what's going on in the Big Ten. Um, and as I said, the Big Ten was completely unable to really be looked at from that perspective last week. It's coming more into focus, but still not quite there yet. I think I need one more week. Um, particularly, we need Michigan to actually play somebody. That will help. Um, it's also going to help uh, when Northwestern and Penn State play each other so that uh, the, the, the two 1-14 and 14 teams can kind of figure out who's who's horrible and who's just really, really bad. So once we kind of get those things figured out, uh, we'll be able to do a better job of, uh, of figuring it out. Because the, the model right now actually has Northwestern performing better than Michigan because of how bad the teams Michigan have played are and how good the teams Northwestern have played are. So it's, yeah, we, we need more games to kind of figure all that out. Because I, I want to be able to say, okay, yeah, Indiana may be finishing third, fourth in the Big Ten, but because of the strength of the schedule um, and, and how different it is, that uh, that may make that may actually be a sign of of a quality performance. Um, I did also do my own quick uh, NCAA field, um, and I did that uh, using primarily the RPI with a couple minor adjustments for records against the RPI tiers. Um, and these are two of the biggest pieces that the committee itself uses. Um, and I did it unlike a lot of the what you see from from the major media out there, which is that they kind of try to project what's going to happen over the next few weeks. I just did it. Season ends today. I'm going to produce a uh, a list, a, a list. And I'm only going to put in our part of it, which is that I did have Indiana as a two seed um, going to Kentucky with a three seed of Louisville. Oof. Wow. <laughs> and I'm just thinking that, yeah, I, I want to host, but wow, what an event that would be to get those three schools Sign into a regional. That would be fun. <laughs> wow. And that could actually happen. Your model speaks that out. Yeah. I was not trying to say, oh, this right, is right. how I would like it. Based on the geographies Ooh. of where the hosts were and based on the RPI locations, the, the Kentucky 1, Indiana 2, Louisville 3 – um, and based on geography, that was the that was the the perfect lineup to make sense. Um, not to mention the fact that boy would that sell a lot of tickets. So <laughs> we'd have to they get reserved for that one. For that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't have enough seats for that one. <laughs> the GA would be a little more hectic, I think. Yeah, we'd have to get the Carl, real reserved seats. <laughs> that's I know that the the it's basically RPI based as in basketball, but baseball too likes to balance out their regionals. They would like to have one or two out west. They would like to have a couple in the Midwest or the Northeast, mm-hmm. um, you know. So as our if our RPI stays in the twenties, any outside shot that they say, okay, Kentucky falters, Louisville falters, Connecticut falters, or something, and I use really probably the best in the Midwest. Do you think they'd give any consideration to saying, okay, yeah, they're twenty-one, twenty-two in the RPI, but let's give them fifteen or sixteen to to host because they've done it in the past. It's a good facility and it's baseball. Uh, in, in the Midwest, as opposed to giving the ninth SEC team a host, yeah, um, 
is there any chance of that? So, you know, I found myself rooting against Vanderbilt and Connecticut and some of those teams more this week than, than anybody else, because I think there is at least it was one host, if not two hosts in that general area. Am I too far off on that? Um, I think there is an opportunity, but I really think the opportunity more comes from the fact that there is a little more leeway given to Northern schools, mostly because of the, the requirements of scheduling because of unlike in other sports, how incredibly strong the Southeast is and that you just, you know, to try to fill out midweeks, you know, we, we have to sometimes call up the, the, the Western Illinois when, you know, we don't have the option to call up coastal Carolina as our midweek to call up any of the sec schools as, as a midweek, except for Kentucky. Um, so don't call San Diego, bro. Do not call San Diego. <laughs> don't get me. Yeah, Stay class, San Diego. Yeah. Oh uh, God, they're the worst. Um, but I think that, that, that's a piece of it. Um, and that's, that's kind of where it comes into the Midwest. Now to some degree, the home away kicker for baseball, uh, was introduced to help the Midwest and the North. Um, it's, it's a little bit less than the kicker for basketball, but in reality, uh, in baseball, the home away advantage is a lot less than it is in basketball. Um, now out West is a different animal. Um, out West, they really do provide an RPI adjuster. So they will, they will go, you know, sometimes 10 ranks outside of the RPI for a Western team. And that's just really because of the way the math works out. And because the West is even more isolated, they all end up playing each other. And uh, the vast majority of Western schools have roughly 500 records. And that depresses the strength of schedule. And it brings the top Western teams down generally in RPI. um, And it brings the bottom teams a little bit up in RPI. Um, to kind of push them all towards the middle. So there's a little bit of an adjustment uh, given to Western schools for that. But really when it comes down to is that they look at those tiers. So how are you doing against the first 25 teams in the RPI, the first 50, the top 100? Um, And they will look at that to to determine that, I mean, an extreme of this was a few years ago, North Carolina had an RPI of 20 and was left out of the tournament. Uh, because they had a losing conference record and their record against those top tiers was atrocious. Um, they basically had a great strength of schedule because the fact that they played in the ACC and it was the second strongest conference. Um, and they managed to avoid playing anyone horrible. And it's kind of interesting. Sometimes RPI, the, the, you can get a huge advantage in RPI by beating up on teams in the 150 range as opposed to beating up on teams in the 250 range. But teams that are in the tournament should beat up both of those. And honestly, that's, a, that's an impact that Indiana's having this year. Last year, Indiana played only one team the entire year that had a 200-plus RPI. And this year, there's, that's a lot higher. And I, I, you know, from a performance perspective, I don't see how there's a huge distinction there. But that is the way the math works out, and it uh, and being in the Midwest, there's very little margin for error. So that kind of goes to your point: is yes, I think they'll took, take a look at it, but somebody in that top sixteen range is going to have to get bumped. They're going to have to do something to merit 
that hole opening up. And then it's like, okay, then maybe we will pull a Midwestern team and pop them in there. And you are correct that uh, I think it doesn't happen if UConn is, is a legitimate host. And right now they are. And Carl, that's why you're the best. And uh, I have some more questions for you. I'm going to send them to you in the, in the Twitter chat. But now it's time for uh, Cassie, who has some awesome stats for us. Cassie, what do you have this week? Yes. Well, before I get to the stats, a little bit of uh, recent breaking news. Uh, Laren Eustace just won IU's Male Big Ten Medal of Honor at the IU Showcase. And that award goes to... Uh, one male athlete and one female athlete at each Big Ten school each year. So there are only 28 awardees each year. So that that's a really big honor for Laren, and congrats, Laren. That's that's well-deserved. Uh, I've been following along the IU Showcase on Twitter a little bit and saw that pop up. Uh, but from a stats perspective uh, – I had a few requests on on what to look at this week. Uh, I was kind of planning for it to be a bit of a hodgepodge odds and ends stats week. Um, One of the things that I looked at was production from the third base spot. And coming into Luke's numbers were solid. uh, 274 batting average, uh, seven home runs, uh, had... This is going to sound weird, but it helps average it out. Had uh, 0.73 RBIs per game. Uh, Everyone since that. So we've had three other starting third basemen since Luke went out with injury. We've had Colbar, uh, Justin Walker, and Drew Ashley. They have combined to bat 108 with no home runs, which we don't necessarily expect a lot of home runs from them with just 0.42 RBI per game. So there has been a decrease out of that third base spot, but I think we kind of expected that anyway because we didn't expect them to match Luke Miller, who came in as a fantastic hitter. Um, But that is something to keep an eye on as Luke's injury continues. Nice to get him back here soon. Yes, and that was another thing I noticed – with the IU Showcase uh, Twitter feed, Luke is still wearing the boot for daily activities. He was in the boot for that. So that's probably not the best sign ever, but it is what it is. Um, so another thing that I've looked at, and this is going to require a little bit of explanation, are goose eggs, which was developed by... Uh, 538, I don't know if it was, was it Nate Silver or I've got it pulled up right here. Uh, it was one of the guys there. Yeah, it was Nate yeah, it was Silver. Nate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's named after Goose Gossage and it's, it's a stat developed to take the place of a save because the save is a pretty worthless stat, uh, and so the requirements for these goose eggs are it has to be a reliever in the seventh inning or later. And when facing the first batter, the team can be up by no more than two runs, tied, or the tying run is on base or at bat. They cannot give up any runs that's earned or unearned, and that includes inherited runners. 
and they have to record at least three outs, so pitch one full inning, or at least one out, and the number of outs plus the number of inherited runners has to equal at least three. So this helps guy, if a guy comes in with runners on second and third with one out or with two outs, they don't have to go a complete inning to get a goose egg because it's such a high-pressure situation. But this also means that you can get more than one goose egg per game because, I mean, in a, in a regulation game, there could be up to three eligible goose egg innings. And then you throw all of these extra innings games on there and <laughs> it gets even higher. Uh, they have a couple of companion stats. There's the broken egg, which means they either did not record enough outs or they gave up at least one earned run and did not close out the win. The third stat is a meh. It means you didn't get the goose egg, but you didn't get the broken egg either. So that could be uh, things like your team is up by two runs, you give up a run, but you close out the win. You don't get a goose egg for that because you gave up the run, but you're not going to be penalized too much for that either. So it's a kind of complex stat, and I have on my score on my uh, spreadsheet. I have all of the requirements, so I can go through game by game. I like those nice uh, twelve to nothing games because I don't even have to look at it. Um, but so far, Cal has the most goose egg opportunities at twenty. He's had thirteen goose eggs, three broken eggs, and four mess. And those four mes are the wins where he gives up one run, but he still gets the win. Uh, Maddie Lloyd has 10 opportunities, nine goose eggs, and one meh. And BJ has seven opportunities, all of them goose eggs. Uh, for comparison, MLB relievers have about have a ratio of about three goose eggs for every broken egg. So all three of those guys are above that. The, uh, the couple of others don't really have enough opportunities to count. When you've had one opportunity, that's what you've got. Uh, but the team as a whole has 48 opportunities, 35 of them are goose eggs, eight are broken eggs, and five are mess. Uh, so the team as a whole is above that three-to-one ratio as well. And this compares to just nine saves that there have been on the season. So it it kind of spreads it out a little bit more, and it also helps those uh, middle relievers who are pitching like that seventh, eighth inning and not just focusing on the one closer who comes in in the ninth inning. So help this uh, math, math challenged uh, captain here. So yeah. that sounds like a really good percentage and, and explains why yes. our bullpen has been really outstanding. Uh, even, you know, when they get a couple losses this weekend in, in some, some big hits, we have had an outstanding season from the bullpen. Am I reading that right? Or hearing yes, that right? Especially- okay. Yes, especially back in, because it does penalize relievers that come in early. So if your starter's only going three innings, you've got the fourth through the sixth where there's nothing available. But those wouldn't be available in a save either. So so you are losing that early middle relief, but but especially the, that back end, the Kruger, uh, Lloyd, and Sable have been fantastic that's and a, the that's other stats play that great out. great well. stat to share with our listeners cassie yes and i can i can share the uh 538 article that details everything i've kind of condensed a lot of it down to 
makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one to follow. And this is my first year that I've tried to do that. So, uh, so that's, folks, that's why, that's why talking Hoosier baseball is, is just the best baseball podcast out there. <laughs> uh, one, it's the best baseball team in the big 10 and two, we have the best statistician in the whole wide world. <laughs> what else you got for us, Cassie? Oh, oh thank you. Well, You're uh, one of the other things I've been looking at a little bit on the pitching side is swinging strikeouts versus looking strikeouts because it, it just caught my attention a little bit. The staff has 300 strikeouts on the season. 92 of them have been looking for about 31% and 208 have been swinging for about 69%. But it's really Steve's numbers that stand out to me. He has 66 total strikeouts, which is top of the big 10. 30 of those 66 are looking for 45% of his Ks. That's a huge margin. Uh, And so that 30, he alone has about 33% of the staff's strikeouts looking in about 19% of the total innings. So he's really, really freezing those batters well. Have you Uh, done any um, comparisons to um, what's normal? I haven't because I'm not finding much on what's normal for that, at least at the college level. I might be able to dig a little bit into MLB. and see, That's mm-hmm. why most of my comparisons end up being MLB because theirs is more readily available. Um, Very good. But yeah, uh, uh, among the rest of the team, only two other pitchers have double-digit strikeout looking counts, and that's uh, Kruger and Milto at 12 each. So that's always... Interesting to look at. Might not mean a whole lot, but it's interesting to see. A couple other odds and ends. I'm not going to go through everything that I dug up this week, but a couple of team stats that I, that caught my eye. Uh, So far in the month of April, the pitchers are both walking and striking out more batters. Uh, They are averaging about three and a quarter walks per game, which is up 0.3 from February and March, which isn't a ton, but enough that I, that it caught my attention, but they're also, they're also at uh, 8.8 strikeouts per game, which is up a full strikeout from February and March per game. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. We're, we're getting them to strike out more, but we're not necessarily throwing a lot more strikes which is interesting. Don't like those walks. No, no. And then on the offensive side, another thing that you touched on, the left on base numbers are way up in the month of April, Uh, sitting at 10 a game, which is up about two and a half per game from February and March. So that's a lot. But part of that could be that the walks are also up to almost seven a game, which is up three per game from February and March. And that's one of the things we've noticed is we're, we're getting these walks with one and two outs and then just not doing anything with them Uh, because the hits and runs are both, both up slightly at about one and three quarters per game. Um, It's interesting that that the walks and strikeouts are up because I do like a patient approach at the plate, but sometimes mm-hmm. with the patient approach at the plate, you get into a two strike count. And I wonder then if that yep. elevates the strikeouts and, and 
you know, then, and, and again, not being a baseball guy, one of the questions I'd ask your coaching staff is when, when do you go out first pitch swinging, right? Or, or do you scout that and, and people pound in the zone early as opposed to, you know, running up the pitch count, getting into a bullpen. Those are some good strategy things that we as fans yeah. think we know, but I, I don't really know. I do think that it's a plus in getting base runners because we're getting a lot yeah. more walks, but we're also the deeper counts are also allowing us to, yeah. strike out a little bit there's probably some more technical reasons yeah. as well well so. i i noticed against uh against uh cam beecham the other team was was swinging at that first pitch all the time and he he does have a fairly ha- has a decent first pitch strike rate but nothing like stever stever is is top of the team in in first pitch strike percentage uh, some of it is going to be scouting seeing who you're if you know he's throwing strikes you're going to be more aggressive but there are also guys ryan Feynman's going to be more likely to swing early he's only seeing uh about 3.4 pitches per plate appearance which is below the team average guy like logan sowers has been more patient he's probably looking for one exact pitch and if he doesn't get it he's not going after it he's at 4.2 pitches per plate appearance which is ridiculously high so so it's it's kind of hit and miss it depends and some of it's going to depend on how you swing with two strikes uh Feynman has been spectacular he's batting batting 321 with two strikes which which is one of the best I've seen uh Elijah Dunham's also up there at 323 and uh Matt Gorski's up there at 292. Those guys, those guys are swinging it really well with two strikes. And so they might be able to be a little more aggressive knowing that they're still more likely to hit it. Good stuff, Cassie. As usual, we appreciate your efforts and always look forward to uh, hearing. Uh, our next category, Josh and his family traveled over to Columbus uh, and made a road trip with Hoosier Baseball. And uh, Josh, share with us uh, how that went. Yeah, we'll just do a road tripping with IU baseball for the family uh, this entire week. We kicked it off, kicked off the five-game week, which is a long week. A lot of games, a lot of hours at the park, but uh, kicked that off with a trip up to India to Victory Field. And it was just a, it was a beautiful venue. And we got there for batting practice when the gates opened up and the sun was out. And Feeney and I sat out on on a one of the light pole concrete bases and in center field and it was warm out there and, and, and uh, just a outstanding park, beautiful and good for the, good for the guys to be able to play in a place like that. You know, some of them were thinking we'll be playing there in a couple of years and others were, that's probably as close as they're going to get. Um, was that your first time up at victory for an IU game or first? Have you for been an IU game? Yes. We used to go to Indian games when we lived up there, but that's the first time for this series. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, but Bo and Drew both got batting practice balls from the Notre Dame, one of the Notre Dame guys shagging out there. So Drew got to cross that off his list of venues with the ball and, uh, it got, it got cold, uh, and, and thinned out towards the end of the evening. But, uh, we got to see coach Z ring that bell out in right field. And that was a good, good cap to the, to the night there. And then, yeah, this weekend we, Went over to Columbus um, for Saturday and Sunday, uh, and Drew got two balls, so we got to cross that one off the list. Um, 
The ball hawk. He, even at different places, he still finds a way. Um, it was a nice park. We had great weather. Sun was shining, especially on Sunday. Uh, actually took the sweatshirt off, which was the first time in what seems like a month. But uh, the, the campus was packed. Uh, they have all the sporting venues really close together. They had Monster Jam going on at the basketball arena that was about 100 yards behind the baseball stadium. And a track event and softball was going and football had some kind of practice on Sunday. Um, so there were a ton of people on campus. Uh, lots of there. Uh, there were a lot of nice hotels and eateries, restaurants really close to campus. So, you know, they're in a city, big city. So it's a little bit different than what we have here, but it was laid out really well. Um, and of course, anytime I'm in Ohio, I get some skyline chili, which is, one of my favorite things in the world. And while we were, we were getting ready to get our bill and, and Grant and BJ and uh, Hobby came in there and Drew ran over there and told them good luck. That was on Saturday afternoon. So it was, it was a lot of fun to, to go over there and, and, and two good baseball weather days. And then uh, up on the, up on our version of the rail this weekend, uh, Cal's dad, Blake, uh, gave me a little bit of insight into the catching position. Um, I was a middle infielder. I have no clue anything about catching. But uh, in the fifth inning, when the OSU catcher broke his webbing, he was standing next to me, and he, he said, oh, watch for a pass ball, watch for a pass ball, new webbing. You know, it's hard to catch with new webbing. And he said he always had an extra myth that he broke in split time with so we had two of the same glove basically and literally two pitches later the ball the catcher caught the ball in his mitt and it that's the one that squeaked out to allow the go-ahead run when we went up three two in the fifth so that was kind of fun to 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 get that little nugget from him because yeah I, I didn't know anything about catching I wouldn't have thought a thing about it you know seeing it live but he literally called it when that happens. So that was pretty cool. There's a lot of good information up at the rail. And for those listeners, that's on the third base side at home and wherever we can find it uh, on the road, there's some good conversations and uh, join us. Come find us at, uh, at Bart Kaufman on the third base rail. Josh, you're also going to road trip this week, correct? Yep. Yeah. We're going to go up uh, on Wednesday to the, we'll call it the road trip to the North is what we'll call it. Usually you just head north for a couple hours and <laughs> sniff a little bit. When you smell that, you know, you turn left and you're there. Hey, yeah. I, I can say that. I, I lived there for two years, so I, I can say that. And I live 20 minutes away, so. Can you still smell it when it blows When it blows from the south? Can you smell it? It, it? takes about a 10-minute drive that way before okay. it hits you. But. So, hey, yeah. let's talk about this week. Uh, Chris Feeney, we got a midweek uh, at that place up north. Um I think I got fined because I typed the name of that school in the script. So I'm up to 40 cents uh, to the kitty. But um, talk about the midweek and then our very big weekend against Illinois. All right, cool. The midweek is that team near the Wabash River that we know uh, and we just played them for three. Right now they're 19 and 16. They're only two and five at home. They haven't played a lot of home games. Um, You know how we only have seven home games left. They only have five road games left. So they got a big stretch coming at home. They're coming off sweeping a series at Maryland. Um, they outscored them 19 to 10 for the series. And as far as midweek games, they've beaten Indiana State. They've lost to Indiana State. They lost to Ball State. 
So, and they've had like four cancellations. It's a lot like what we have because of the weather, a lot of cancellations and all their midweek games have been low uh, scoring and close games. So they haven't really given up more than four runs on a midweek game, but they also haven't scored that much either. So they've all been tight midweek games. Now, something that they're doing up near the Wabash river tomorrow is some kind of free tailgate blackout thing for the students. So they're really going to be trying to pack that place in. They're giving them free food, free stuff, all that good thing, free T-shirts. So the crowd might be a little rowdy. I'm glad we got a nice crew going up on the bus. Um, as far as hit, their big hitter, we talked about him last time, Jason McGowan. He's got 11 home runs, 42 RBIs now. And their closer, Ross Leonard, he has a .83 ERA. He has six saves, and he's only given up two earned runs in 21 innings. So let's have a lead late. I'd prefer that. I mean, we, we talked about the guy on Ohio State. We knew they had him. We knew the way they used him. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> the guy was a stud, and, and we couldn't hit him. So how about for the team near the Wabash River, we just are up four late. I'll take that. It's a nice park uh, for those of you coming up on the bus trip uh, or driving up. It, it, is, a, it is a nice park, uh, natural field, grass. Um, but it's a nice place to watch a game and to watch the Hoosiers win. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then after that, we have the Friday, Saturday, Sunday series with Illinois. They're 24 and 11. Uh, they're nine and three in the big 10 and they're nine and three also on the road. So they're a very good road team. Um, they actually just lost the series at home to grand Canyon, two games to one, and they'll have a midweek game also uh, Tuesday against Bradley. And then they'll head over to the BART. I checked out a little bit of their schedule. This team scores a ton of runs. They have 13 games where they've scored seven runs or more, and they have eight games where they've scored 10 runs or more. So, uh, I mean, obviously what we're going to hear next kind of explains it a little bit, but, you know, they have Bren Spillane. He was the midseason national player of the year, picked by Division I. Um, He's won three Big Ten weekly awards back-to-back-to-back. No one's ever done that. He was the first. He's got 16 home runs, 45 RBIs, and he's hitting 451. This guy is big time. He's had an eight RBI game. He's had a six RBI game. He's had a three home run game. Uh, he's a big fella. He's a six five first baseman, righty. He's number nine. You won't, you know, you won't be able to miss him. Uh, he's one of those guys. So you know, he's the he's big time. And we're going to have to deal with them. And I'm sure there's a plan and <laughs> they will uh, address him the way they need to. Hopefully he doesn't add to his 118 total bases that he has so far. Uh, they also have a guy, Zach Taylor. Oh, and by the way, that guy can steal too. He's got like 11 steals uh, for the season as well. So Feynman, throw out that big fella and get him out. Uh, Zach Taylor, he has seven home runs. He also has 12 steals on the season. Um. Again, they score a ton. They score a ton of runs. As far as their closer, much different story than what we saw this past weekend. Joey Gerber, he does have a lot of saves, but he's got a 3.24 ERA. Okay? So he's given up runs. Uh, he's given up a lot of hits. But, uh, again, hopefully we don't have to face him either. You know what I mean? Let's, let's have late leads. I like those better. Uh, let's see. Also for Illinois, the last time we played them, was in May of 2016. Now, this this Friday night was a fun one, if anybody remembers it. It was uh, Sedlock, Cody Sedlock versus Kyle Hart. Sedlock got drafted in the first round by Baltimore uh, the following year. There was a ton of scouts there. I remember 
Uh, it was Oakland was there. Baltimore was there. Chicago White Sox. Um, it was a wild game, too. It was 1-1 to the 10th. Sedlock was still pitching in the 10th. Hart uh, had quit pitching in the 8th, after the 8th. And it went to the 10th inning, and they did win. They won 2-1, to one, but then we won the series 2-1. to one. But that Friday night, that Sedlock was one of the most impressive pitches I've seen come in. I, I wasn't there in 2013, but from 14 on, uh, that was some impressive stuff. That kid was, was really good. Uh, I looked it up. He was in a high single A right now, which surprised me. I thought he'd be a little further along in the Orioles organization. But, you know, uh, he looked outstanding that night. And for the weekend, it's 6 o'clock Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday, and also 2 o'clock on Sunday because that game's on national TV. Uh, national TV. It's on BTN. Uh, so it's a 2 o'clock start on Sunday. Now, the rumor is, I haven't heard back from him yet, but the rumor is Aaron Fitt from uh, D1 is going to be here on Friday, possibly even on Saturday, because this is a big-time series. You know what I mean? D1 Baseball sends people out to a big series. So us against the Fighting Illini should be a fun weekend. Uh, I don't want to discuss the W word. I'm not going to mention it. You know, I don't like to say we haven't hit traffic yet when I'm driving on a road trip. So I'm not going to mention the W word. But Google uh, the weekend uh, forecast. I won't mention the W word, though. But the weekend forecast could include that w word and uh i do see a big bright yellow thing in the box for for two out of the three days and maybe even friday uh now it looks like it could be an outstanding weekend uh w word wise and hopefully we can uh pack the bart and have you know a good weekend uh, I, I would love it i would love to finally be there in a t-shirt i think i've been there in a t-shirt one time just that friday doubleheader uh you know, let's let's get it. Let's get that place rocking like we did that Friday night. Hopefully, we can uh, pack it out. Good weather and a good matchup and a good and a great team. You know what I mean? We're we're a great team. Come out and watch them. There's only seven games left. You know what I'm saying? After this weekend, there's only four. So you might as well get out there while you can. Um, and that's it. That's our preview. And plan on Saturday coming out early for the Talking Hoosier baseball tailgate. Look for the red and white uh, canopy and uh, some familiar faces. Please stop by. Uh, whether you, you want to eat or not, we'll try to force some food to you and stuff. But we'd like to meet um, all the IU fans, and if the weather's nice, come out early. So it's time for our final thoughts. Josh, let's send it over to you first. What are you thinking about here as we end up the podcast? Yeah, I just want everybody to take a deep breath. Um, don't panic. At one point this week, we had the number one ERA in Division One baseball. Uh, it was our best start since 1987. We'd won 19 out of 21, and we've had three seven-plus game win streaks. So this team's fine. We uh, we played a decent team, and hey, their their big dude came through when he needed to, and we just we just didn't get the breaks without two of our big guys available. So. You know, looking forward to some decent weather here. Hopefully, a, hopefully a good, good. Uh, oh, you said weekend. the W word. Oh, you said uh, it. You said. me. Sorry, <laughs> my bad. It'll be good anyway. It will. Yeah, it but will. anyway, no, it looks great. It does. It looks so good. I, I'm afraid to look at it again. <laughs> yeah, just, just want everybody to take a deep breath. I know we're all a little disappointed and not necessarily shocked, but surprised with what happened. But that was a good team over there. Very well said, Josh Cassie. Your final thoughts. Yeah, this was a kind of tough week where things just weren't quite clicking. And there were some solid streaks of play, but you couldn't just couldn't quite put it all together. Be a streak of hits, 
and then nothing for a while, and then a few hits, and then nothing. Uh, but the team uses this as a learning experience going into the last few weeks of, of the regular season. I'd rather see this happen now than in mid to late May or into June. The schedule doesn't get much easier going forward. A couple, couple of games maybe, but, but these Hoosiers can compete with anybody in the conference and probably anyone in the country as long as we can get healthy. Agree with that as well. Carl, your final thoughts? Uh, kind of going along the same lines. Uh, I sol- I want to say that uh, I went back to my original predictions and took out the uh, the games that got canceled. And IU Base is still two games ahead of where my original uh, prediction model was, which means the team is still comfortably in the postseason, uh, barring a complete disaster going down the line, which I just don't see happening. Um. But this team can still play its way into hosting a regional. But if it doesn't, I'll tell you this: I sure wouldn't want to be the uh, the host that has Indiana as its two seed. Hey, boy, we are on on point here tonight, Chris. Your final thoughts? Pack the bar. All right, there's seven games left. Come out. It's five dollars. It's the best deal in town. Okay, <laughs> it really is. There's seven games left this weekend. It should be packed. And again, I don't. I hate telling people come to the games, come to the games, but come to the games. It's five dollars. It's the weekend series against an excellent team. It's going to be a great matchup. You get to see a monster hitter from them strike out a lot and into a lot of double plays. So that's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> and you get to see a sweep uh, Illinois. It'll be great. And don't forget to go on eBay, type in Hoosiers and the code Y O G I, and get your Logan Kalita shirt. That's my final thought. And bring that Logan Kalitha shirt to the tailgate before Saturday's <laughs> game, and you can make it an excellent weekend. Uh, my final thought, losing a series on the road stinks, but it's understandable. It's baseball. The best teams in baseball lose series. There's still a lot of baseball to play. Uh, and you can make up for uh, a tough loss on, on the weekend by coming out and winning the series against Illinois or maybe even sweeping Illinois. And you have some teams later on that, that I think we can beat and even sweep in North, Nebraska and Maryland. So after a night of sleep and a little disappointment because we, we love the Hoosiers so much, I say let's go. We are a great team, and um, great teams bounce back, and this team is a team that battles. So we can still host. And we can still win, and we can still make a run at the Big Ten. So that'll do it for Talking Hoosier Baseball. Please find all future podcasts on Sports Talk with Tonsoni, which can be found on your favorite podcast source, as well as under the Talking Hoosier Baseball tab on iubase.com. Please follow iubase.com on Twitter. Their handle is at iubase17. Follow Talking Hoosier Baseball podcast on Twitter. Their handle is at CU at the BART. And visit iubase.com to see other articles and posts from our team. For the gang, I'm Brian Tonsoni. Go Hoosiers. See you at the bar. To see my baby in-